Well, it's good to be with you guys tonight. All praise goes to Jesus. I want you to open your Bibles up to uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 1. We've been uh, in both uh, John and Revelation, kind of bouncing back and forth. You know, I emailed your pastor, and we talked about this just a second ago, uh, or at least just mentioned it, that uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to be in Revelation or John 6. So it looks like you're getting Revelation. Uh, just uh, bouncing back and forth. And we've been trying to juggle. We're in Portland and, and Eugene in this area for a month. And so we're trying to be uh, fresh so that anyone who comes to any other services, we have new material the whole time. So, uh, you know, you're in Revelation this week. So it's been very, uh, it's been phenomenal material what we've been really uh, studying. And, and we've been giving ourselves again to these, this first prologue, uh, these first three verses the prologue over the last several months, uh, in fact, about eight or nine months, just been giving ourselves to this book and, and uh, the contents and just soaking in it and allowing him really to speak to us. And um, we've been giving ourselves specifically over the last couple months to this last verse and just really digging in and, and uh, just, I guess the only way to describe it would be just kind of resting in the truth that's uh, going on here. I, I'm coming to some conclusions concerning the book of Revelation. And this is not widespread opinion, but I'm becoming more and more strong on this. I'm becoming more and more uh, pinpointed, and it's, it's hard to change my mind on this. I'm under the impression that the book of Revelation is not a different message than the rest of the Bible. I, I mean, I re, I'm coming to that conclusion, which you understand is not a popular conclusion apparently to come to. See, the book of Revelation has kind of always been understood as, as something different, and therefore we kind of shy away from it, and, and maybe it's been reserved for the spiritually elite, you know, or someone who has special gifts and abilities, which counts me out. So, you know, hey, I find, first of all, that the only gift you need to understand God's Word is the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's Corinthian stuff. Um, and so, therefore, when we really got in the book of Revelation and, and uh, because I'm living in him and resourced by him, hey, I guess I'm qualified to get in his word. And we begin to find that <laughs> it's not a new message. It's the same message. Uh, we talk a lot about these two-group language, this two-group language, and I feel it's really important to uh, continually come back to what it means to be a Christian, which seems to be uh, at times watered down or, or uh, confused a little bit. See, the idea of what it means to be a Christian is to, uh, obviously uh, to have a life that's resourced by Him and Him alone. See, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about, I go to church. We're not even talking about, I love Jesus and I do good things for Him. What we're talking about in terms of the attributes of the Christian life are very, stated very clearly by Paul. They're the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of trying hard. It's not the fruit of discipline. Um, Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Okay? You can't... See, if your bodily drives see, is out of control, that tells you that Jesus is not in control of your body drives. Okay? So, hey, the answer, the, the, the answer to the, the bodily drives in my life, okay, the answer to the, these bodily drives of this body is to come to Jesus and say, hey, control in my life what I cannot control. I give you permission. Hey, move in my life and control what I was never meant to control. Okay? Comes back to him. 
So we've coming into the book of Revelation, it's really profoundly affected us and impressed upon us that it's the same message. Okay? It's the same message. It's all about him. It's all focused on him. And as he comes to these seven churches of Asia Minor and he reveals himself to them, he's showing that he is the answer to what's, what's going on in their, in their situation, in their, in their life, in their church. See, what would happen if, if Eugene Church of the Nazarene, are you guys a first church here? Ooh, ooh. What if Eugene First Church of the Nazarene just came back and embraced him and said, you're the answer to every problem, every issue, every marital See, whatever we're, whatever's going, hey, we're embracing you. Come down and come down and, and, and bring to pass what only you can bring to pass. Come down and conquer what only you can conquer. So we've been dealing heavily with these uh, first three verses, and it's been an absolute focus on Jesus. I've been longing, one last thing, I've been, I've been longing to live, uh, and this is my language, but I've been longing to live on the cutting edge of the kingdom. Okay. I mean, really. Uh, wouldn't it be terrible to come to church and, and really not be involved in church? That's my church. I go there. What does that mean? Well, I show up on Sunday and I sit about towards the back on the right-hand side. And, uh, you know, I'm there. I pay my tithe. But that's about the extent of my involvement in the kingdom of God. You realize the church is our hub of ministry. That from the perspective of the New Testament, we are all ministers. And this is our hub of ministry, and we are sent out each week in ministry. Shake your heads. This is, this is, this is, I'm sure this is true. Okay? So we are sent out in ministry. We are sent out in ministry from here each week. I want to live. I want to be involved. I want to, I want to live in the cutting edge of the kingdom in my life. I don't want to miss out. I, I want to be a part. Hey, include me in what you're doing. Because the reality is, is I'm already including it. I'm already included in it. Which means I'm involved in it or I'm missing it. Period. Okay? Really found that strong in verses 1 through 3. I want to talk to you about it. Quick uh, uh, recap here. Uh, verse, uh, these first three verses are the prologue. They're the words before the book. He's using these first three verses to set boundaries or parameters on the book we're about to read, which is the prophecy. So in other words, you want to know what he's talking about in the prophecy. You want to know what the prophecy is all about. You get in these first three verses and he tells you. And when you get into the first two verses... You're confronted immediately with, um, you're confronted immediately with uh, three things. The first thing you're confronted with is that this book is a prophecy, okay? And the description of that prophecy is that it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. You want to know what the content of the prophecy is? It's about Him. An alternate translation of the word revelation is unveiling, which kind of gives, kind of helps us understand what revelation means, because there's so much baggage to that word. The word revelation means a divine unveiling. Okay? So the book of Revelation is a divine unveiling of Jesus Christ. That's what the prophecy is about. When you come into the book of prophecy, what do you, come involve, uh, what do you, what do you get involved with? What do you come in contact with? Jesus as he is unveiled. Now, one of the things we begin to discover, and I was never really uh, fluent on prophecy when we studied this. I mean, I, um, wasn't, I wasn't a prophecy buff. And uh, when we begin to get in the book of Revelation, I became a little bit more familiar with prophecy. And one of the things I learned about prophecy that uh, uh, is really key, prophecy was never focused on times and dates. 
Okay? In other words, prophecy wasn't given so that we would know when something was going to happen. Prophecy was not given so we know when something was going to happen. Prophecy was given as a, as a speaking of God about the events of, about, not about, it's about future events, but God was speaking about, hey, I'm working and moving, manipulating events in your life, and I'm bringing about a plan, and you're not out of that plan. Okay? I, hey, the prophecy is about what I'm doing in your future on your behalf. That's the point of prophecy. Prophecy wasn't given for the win of the event. For instance, um, the Messiah. God comes to his people, Israel, and says, I'm going to send my Messiah to you. It's a prophetic statement. Now, he did not say that in all the content that we have about the Messiah. He never tells us the when of, that's going, of that event, when that's going to happen. He does not say, hey, I'm going to send my Messiah to you. And it's going to be in about 400 years on a Friday at noon. So be really be, be waiting for that. Okay? That was not the point of prophecy. It's not the point of prophecy. The point of prophecy was, hey, I'm moving and working in your behalf, bringing all things to fulfillment, which happens to be in Jesus Christ. Which is the conclusion of all prophecies, the fulfillment of all prophecy. So prophecy is not about times and dates. In fact, in Matthew, and that's not only Old Testament stuff, prophecy, but New Testament, the prophecy that's surrounding Jesus, is the same kind of thing. We did, uh, did a little bit of research in, in Matthew chapter 24 where Jesus is in the temple and they're walking through the temple. And I'm sure you've read this. It's the, the signs of the end of the times type of thing. The disciples draw Jesus' attention uh, to the buildings. And he's like, wow, how great is it? And they're, they're talking about how wonderful and beautiful it is. Jesus says, do you see all these things? Not one of these are going to remain on one another. All the stones are going to be, this thing's going to be just decimated. The disciples are like, wow. That'd be interesting to know when that's going to happen. So they corner Jesus later on that evening when he's by himself. And they say, hey, Jesus, um, when's this going to take place? And he goes on and describes what he meant by the statements that he made. And then, knowing their real intent of their question, he says, times and dates, hey, you don't need to worry about. No man knows the hour. He says, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son. And who's the Son? Jesus. Okay? No, one know, no man knows the hour, not the angels, nor the Son, but only the Father. So it's, it's constantly, Jesus didn't even know the times and dates that God had said, because that wasn't the issue. That's what, that was not what was important. Okay? So I had a difficult time believing that all the way throughout the scope of Scripture, prophecy was never about times and dates, even though we bugged him about that kind of stuff. And therefore, he would come to the book of Revelation and say, well, fine, you're going to bug me, bug me, bug me, I'll tell you. But I'm going to encode it. <laughs> that's retarded. Okay? I mean, that's, that's not how he works. That's not the book of Revelation. It's not a timeline. It's not about times and dates. It has times and dates in it. But the events, hey, the events and the times and the happenings, they're not the emphasis. The emphasis is on him as he is unveiled. Okay? So when you come in the book of Revelation, what are you coming into? Him. You're seeing, the, you're see, this is phenomenal. You're seeing the plan of God as it is unfolding in Jesus. Everything, oh, it's all about him. First aspect of the book of, uh, or first aspect of the prologue establishes that this book is a prophecy and the content of the prophecy is the person of Jesus. The second aspect that he establishes in the prologue, which is crucial, is the purpose for the prophecy. And the purpose for the prophecy is to show his servants what must soon take place. I didn't go into this last night, really quickly. The word soon is misleading in our NIV translations. 
The first verse reads like this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. The, the, the way the NIV translates that sounds like, hey, Jesus is going to be, this revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, is to show his servants the things that must soon take place. It sounds like it's something in the future. Like, hey, something's going to happen and, hey, it's going to be, it's going to be shown to you. It's, up, it's out there somewhere, but, hey, it's going to, pay attention. Don't want you to miss it. That's the kind of impression, at least, that I came away with from this first verse as the NIV translates it. But when I begin to dig in and study it, the word soon in the NIV is a misleading translation. The primary translation, that word soon, and it's a better word, is quickly. Changes the emphasis of the sentence quite a bit, which is how it should be translated. See, the purpose is to show his servants what must quickly take place. Okay. You see the difference? Jesus comes to the seven churches of Asia Minor and he reveals himself. This is powerful. He reveals himself to that church as the answer to that church. Okay. And they're to respond right now. They're to respond right now. He's showing, he's revealing the things that must take place. I'm convinced uh, that when Jesus reveals himself to you, it's really crucial. And there's, there's not room for like, well... I'll think about it. Give me some time. Give me some time. I know God's speaking to me. I should be responding tonight. But, you know, there's a lot of people here tonight. Tuesday, there'll be less. <laughs> well, there's not, by the way. But, hey, the emphasis is, is that what's revealed in Jesus Christ in this book requires immediate, is to show his servants what's got to take place in our life. Isn't that exciting? Don't get too excited on me. Okay. <laughs> First aspect of the prologue is a prophecy. The content of the prophecy is him. The purpose of the prophecy is to show what's going on in him is the answer in us. And I need to respond to him. Anytime he speaks to me, anytime he moves upon me, it requires immediate response, purpose. The third aspect of, these, uh, of the prologue, that as you begin to get into it, is the perspective. And we covered this last night. It is, the, it is the idea that when I see him unveiled, and he's the purpose for my life, and everything I see in him is, is, the, is the plan of God and what he wants to establish in me, I'm to live in that perspective, okay? Now, that's, that's the first things that he covers, and then we come into verse 3, and there's a blessing that's associated with that. And the whole idea of the blessing is, is that when you embrace this prophecy, in which, again, it's not intellectual stuff, it's seeing him, and seeing him is seeing who I've been called to be, and how I've been called to be resourced, living out of who he is. Okay? It's, it's embracing and living that perspective. I have the opportunity be, to become his hand in my world. Now, the final statement of the whole prologue is really crucial. In fact, uh, I almost just kind of skipped this. I almost kind of just said, I mean, he finishes the prologue with this statement because the time is near. And I said, yeah, amen. Right, good job, John. Let's get into verse 4. And uh, a couple, it was a, a couple at a church we were talking and they did a study on uh, time. And it piqued my curiosity and I said, well, there's time, that word's in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. And uh, it led us into a whole other study, which is fantastic. It's a crucial statement that he makes. Because the time is near is a purpose. Uh, it's kind of like a because statement. I've said all of these things for this reason. Because the time is near. 
All the details of the prophecy. When you get into the prophecy, seeing who he is and seeing who you've been called to be. And hey, I've said all of that. All the con Everything, the whole purpose of the prophecy, the importance of this book is because the time is near. Okay? It is a purpose statement. Now, the, we know that it's a, a purpose statement and, because, first of all, it's all over the book. Uh, in fact, in particular, I wanted to read you. It's at the beginning, specifically, it's at the beginning of the book, this statement that is. It's at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book. At the end of the book, and I can just read this to you. It's in chapter 22. This angel is giving direction to John concerning the prophecy. This is what he says in uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 10. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book. Okay? Because the time is near. Don't shut this thing up, man. Don't hide it. Don't bury this thing. Don't seal up the words of this prophecy because the time is near. It's very crucial. Now, that can be confused with several statements that's made in, the gospel, uh, or in, in this book uh, where Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Okay? The time is near and I'm coming soon can, can oftentimes sound like the same thing. Yeah, Jesus is coming and the second coming He's going to come back for us. Hey, the time is near. That can seem uh, similar, but that's, it's not at all. Those are not at all the same. Uh, because the time of year, uh, <laughs> it is the time of year, but because the time is near is a purpose statement. In fact, that word because, and I don't know what translation you're using, but that word because can also be translated for. Uh, the technical term is it's, caused, it, it's, ca it's called a causative article. Just trying to impress you. Uh, it's called a causative article. And when that word is used, a causative article, it's always placed at the end of a sentence or after a statement when there's a purpose attached to it. Okay? I'm going to the gas station, causative article, because I'm going to run out of fuel if I don't. Okay? Causative article. That's what that word is. And the causative article then is focused on two things, time and near. The importance, the significance of the book of Revelation is, is he ends this whole thing by saying it's because of two things. It's because of time and near. Because the time is near. I want to look with you first of all at this word time, which was really interesting to me. There's three different words for time that's used in our New Testament. Three different words. Wasn't aware of that. And every time we study the Bible and really dig in and it always just kind of lets me know how shallow and hollow our English language is. I mean, it's this is so deep. Three different words that they translate time in our New Testament. The first word, and John, who obviously wrote the book of Revelation, in his writings, the word that he uses most often for time is the Greek word hora, okay? which we often translate hour or time. And that word has to do with the span of time or a period of time seen in terms of quantitatively. Okay, in other words, it's a series of events over a span of time, whether short or large, it's talking about those events. I'll give you an example of this. John chapter 4. Jesus is in, or uh, this, uh, it's John chapter 4, the whole scene is the, uh, the, the ruler, the Roman, uh, it's the Roman centurion guy. And he comes out to Jesus in chapter 4 and, and he wants him to heal his son and uh, uh, he says, hey, you don't need to come. Just say the word and it'll be done. You remember that story. Jesus speaks the word. The guy walks away and Jesus brags on him. He says, hey, great faith. Are you paying attention? Galileans. 
paying attention. So the guy leaves, and while he's journeying back, some of his household is coming out to meet him. Oh, neat story. This is, he inquires about something, and it's the time. This is our word, or this is that word, hora. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left uh, him yesterday at the seventh hour. He inquired about the time, a span of time. Hey, when did this take place? Was it at noon, between noon and, noon and two? Did it start to go down? Quantitative time, which is really significant for John. There are literally ordained hours, it's periods of time that are specific and important. Uh, I happen to believe that services like these uh, man, I believe this. I believe there are services like these um, where God has ordained time, hours in our life to specifically accomplish things that he's longed to accomplish. I mean, there were, there were significant events. A significant, a significant event in my life was in 1995 when uh, a Christian uh, couple invited me into their home. It was over a period of about two months. And that hour was significant and crucial in my life. God was, God was speaking to me. I didn't want to miss that hour. That, that's, the, that's the idea of that word. John uses that word all the time. Okay? It's one word for time. Another word for time that you're going to run into in our New Testament is chronos. Pretty familiar. It's where we get our word, English word, chronology. Chronology. I figured you guys would spit that right back out. <laughs> chronos. It's the chronology, which is really easy to understand. It's a series of events. It's a series of events that, uh, that, take, uh, that, that come to pass. It's, a, it's talking about time in terms of this happened, this happened, this happened, and this happened. Okay? It's, it's a series of events. You don't need an example of that. The third word for time, which is actually the word in our passage, which is surprising because it doesn't mean perhaps what we think it means. It's the word karios. And oftentimes, this was, this was surprising to me, oftentimes it's not translated time. I mean, it's translated time here. But the, the drive behind the word is not time. It literally marks a period. Think about this. It, it, it marks a period of opportunity. Okay. Wow. You excited yet? It, it marks a period of opportunity. Uh, put this into our passage. He says, hey, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it for the opportunity. Okay? The period of opportunity is near. The period of opportunity. Really found it significant. We begin to, to uh, go through the, uh, and look at this word as it appeared in several different places. It appears in Luke chapter 19. Uh, and Jesus is, is weeping over Jerusalem on this because they missed, they missed the opportunity. Folks, I don't want to miss opportunity. I don't want to miss the opportunity. See, Jesus is weeping over this time aspect, the opportunity. He's in, it's in chapter 19, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. He's speaking to Jerusalem. He says they will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls as well. They will not leave one stone on another 
because you did not recognize the opportunity. You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You missed it. See, they, they had the opportunity of recognizing the Messiah and they missed it. That's that word. And Jesus wept over. That was not a casual thing for him. See, missing the Messiah was the whole point of what God had been bringing them to. All the things that he'd been teaching him, uh, teaching Israel about. Um, we looked at Moses the other night. Moses, see, he was a prophet. But Jesus, uh, God said to uh, the people of Israel, hey, I'm going to send a prophet like Moses to you. That all these things that are going on in the Old Testament were to teach them about Jesus. And of course, they missed him. Okay? They missed that opportunity of seeing who he is. That's in Luke uh, chapter 19. Uh, the word is actually translated in opportunity in Ephesians chapter 5, verses uh, 15 and 16. Paul writes, Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity. It's that word. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Okay? Don't miss this. Now, we begin to kind of search that out and, and run through the book of Revelation with that. And I found it in several different places uh, throughout the book of Revelation. Chapter 11. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped Him, saying, We give thanks to You, Lord God Almighty, the One who is and who was, because You have taken Your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and Your wrath has come. Get it? The time has come for judging the dead and for the rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name. Okay, The time, the opportunity has come. It has presented himself that hour where God can move and accomplish what... That's, that's the word. It's used there and then in the next, just really quickly, in chapter 12, verse 12, next chapter. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows, this is, this is really helpful, because he knows that his time is short. See, he knows that the opportunity that he has, this period of time and the opportunity that he can work is short. The idea here that John is trying to, to convey to us is that this is an opportunity. When he says the time, the time is near, he's talking about an opportunity. There's an opportunity that we have that is near. We looked this, uh, really, if you can't tell, got excited over this word. And I found out that scholars are excited about this word because it's kind of a unique word for time. There's a reference that's very familiar to anyone uh, who's uh, studied in an academic setting uh, the scriptures. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. I'm sure your pastors have heard of it. A guy named Kittles is involved with that. This is what he wrote about this word. Karyos denotes a period of time that is fateful and decisive with a strong emphasis that the time is significant and appointed by God. Okay? When that word is used, it is fateful and decisive. Um, I'm going to give you one more example of this. Flip back with me and I want you to look at this with your own eyes. John normally uses the word hour or time. Uh, significant events and uh, 
uh, hey, we don't want to miss those. And, it's, and Jesus constantly saying, my time is near. And you've probably, if you've read the Gospels, you're familiar with that statement. He's saying, my time or my hour has come. That kind of deal. That's normally the word hora. But in chapter 7 of John, he's talking about this word karios. And when, and I want to communicate this, that the karios for Jesus, the time that Jesus is talking about, the time that's here in the book of Revelation is intimately tied with and we've been talking about this already this week, the time that he's talking about in this passage is time that is a direct result of the appointing of God's hand. In other words, God, God's hand has come down and he's orchestrated these events. Kind of talked about that last night. And it's neat to me that, that just, it's, it's reaffirmed in the passage as you continue to go through verse 3. That, that concept is reaffirmed. That God's hand, the idea of me being blessed when I get into this prophecy, means that God's hand is reaching through my life and he's orchestrating events. He didn't ask me, didn't ask my permission. But when I'm getting into him and I get into the prophecy and seeing who he is, I see who I've been called to be, and I live in that perspective, I have the opportunity of being blessed, which means his hand is reaching in my life and he's orchestrating the events of my life. That's the same idea of that, this opportunity. That's the opportunity that we're talking about. If you get into the book of Revelation, the punctuating purpose of the book of Revelation is that this opportunity okay, is near. Now, Jesus was huge on that. In fact, Jesus was hesitant. Jesus was hesitant to act or move. Uh, he was hesitant even to minister outside of that opportunity. He didn't want to miss it, but he did not want to be outside of that opportunity. I mean, this is, it's difficult for me to describe. Let me just tell you how John describes it. In chapter 7, the scene is, is Jesus and his brothers are having, this is his brother's family. They're having a conversation. Uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles is approaching, and his brothers are pressuring him to go up to the feast. See, uh, they didn't get Jesus. The, what they thought Jesus was about was that he was running for this office kind of thing. You know, like trying to get elected mayor? Yeah. He's trying to get elected Messiah. I mean, that's what they really thought. In fact, if you look at verse 3, Jesus' brother said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. You hear that? I don't think they quite got who he was. In fact, well, they continue, since you were doing these things, hey, show yourself to the world. Get out there. Come on. Make things happen. And, of course, John adds in verse 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. See, they didn't quite understand it. See, Jesus wasn't making his way. Jesus wasn't making his way in ministry. He wasn't struggling, wasn't putting things together. Jesus was living in response to the Father. Wouldn't it be phenomenal if we saw our life in terms of that? That I wasn't orchestrating my life, he was, and I'm just responding. See, I ultimately, to be quite frank with you, I don't have to be an evangelist. I don't have to be. I mean, I could get off the road and get a job, you know, first time in my life. And uh, I could have a life outside of living and burning down the highway. Hey, I don't have to do this. If he leads, that's fine. I want my ministry and evangelism to be a product of me just responding to him. Come on. 
and, and he's leading and I'm following. This is the idea of time. This is the opportunity that he's talking about. Jesus says, I don't want to miss it. God is reaching his hand through my life and he's orchestrating the events of my life. And I don't want to miss it. In fact, I don't want to miss it to such an extent that I don't want to give myself to any other thing until that takes place and I'll respond to it. Now, this is what we're talking about. They're pressuring him, go up to the Feast of the Tabernacles. Listen to what he says. Jesus told them, the right time, that's our word. Most of the time, John doesn't use this word. This is, the, this is our word. The right opportunity for me has not yet come. For you, any opportunity is right. For you, any opportunity is right. He, he describes, again, Jesus is our example of what it means to be the real deal. When did Jesus act? When he moved. And Jesus' actions were a response to that movement. Jesus says, the opportunity for me to go has not yet come. Okay? For you, any opportunity is right. <laughs> now, how strong is this for Jesus as he goes on? Verse 7, the world cannot hate you. In other words, you're worldly. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. Wouldn't it be something if I was involved in a ministry? You think you could be involved in ministry and not involved in him? No. I think you can. See, I think you can be in ministry and not into him. In fact, I think ministry can get bigger in your eyes than him. In fact, I'll tell you this. I think that uh, I think you can get more into preaching than into Jesus. Okay? He's saying the right time for you, hey, any time is right. They do what they want. They, they go on a whim. Whatever they want, they move. The right time for Jesus has not yet come. He moves on down through the passage. He says, verse 8, you go to the feast. I'm not yet going to the feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he also went up, but not publicly. And you would say, well, hold on. Why did he go up? Oh, his time came. His time came. It's not my time. They leave. And God says, now you can go, go for it. <laughs> and so his time came and he responded. And so he comes up to the feast and phenomenal, he begins to teach and phenomenal things unfold. And all of the ministry that takes place is a direct result that his time had come, which had been appointed by the Father. Any other time, see, any other opportunity, any other opportunity than his opportunity in my life is considered evil by him. Okay? The opportunity we're talking about, and you can turn back with me if you would to Revelation. The opportunity that we're talking about in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, this time is so crucial uh, that anything outside of that is considered evil. Which means it's really narrow what he's talking about here. Hey, the opportunity of God's hand reaching in my life, reaching through my life, I'm to live in that. See, that, that's, to be the or, that's to be what orchestrates my life. Now, he attaches to this time. He says that time, that opportunity of God's hand reaching through my life and him pulling off what he wants to do. See, ministry is not what Jeremiah wants to do. See, ministry is not, wow, isn't Jeremiah great? Wow, just come shake his hand. Can we shake his hand? Wow, man, shake his hand. Amen. See, ministry is not that. Ministry is him. I, I love it when people come up to me and say, wow, that was a great sermon. I'm thinking, I stole it from John. <laughs> I've never written this sermon in my life. I steal every, every, every ounce of material that I have from this. It's him. It's him that, it's, it's him that we're experiencing. 
See, that, that's, the, that's the deal. The opportunity has arised where God's hand is stretched. I don't want to miss that. Okay? That's the opportunity he's talking about there. Jesus was dead on that. Now he attaches to that opportunity this word near, which he says, hey, that time, that opportunity is near. Now, the word near, again, from my perspective, uh, is that it, it's out there. It's going to come. Hey, it's near. It's close. I wonder what it's going to be. I don't know. Better pay attention. Okay. That opportunity of God's hand, it's near. This is the exact same word that John the Baptist uses. Exact same word. When he said that the kingdom of heaven is near. near. And everybody looked for it. That's that word. The idea of this word near means that it's, it's imminent. You can't stop it. It's going to happen. In fact, what we found just really, really neat is that most of the time, this word near is translated at hand, which means it's right here. Yeah. So the opportunity, think about this, the opportunity of God reaching his hand through our life is right here, moment by moment. That when I get in the middle of this prophecy, when I get in the middle of the word and, and he is unveiled, and seeing who he is, I see who I've been called to be. And what's resourcing him is resourcing me. What's going on in him is to be going on inside of me. And I embrace that. And I live in that perspective. I, I get, as he lived in that, I live in that. God's hand is unblessed with the opportunity of God's hand reaching through my life. That's the opportunity. Now, when's that going to take place? I wonder if it'll take place next week. It's at hand, folks. It's a moment-by-moment moment kind of thing. He says the time is at hand. He ends it. He ends, he ends this whole statement that he's made. When's this going to take place? Right now. I, I don't want to miss that opportunity. I talked to you, I think, about this. And it might have been the last church. About the guys at the church in the Midwest, the old timers, and the one guy who had not yet retired. Yeah. I'm not knocking that guy. Certainly not judging that guy. But I was so worried that he was going to miss he was going to miss that opportunity. Why? Well, it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't comfortable. Well, I didn't want I like. And the opportunity that he had in that hour, the opportunity that he had. See, I wonder, Jesus weeps sometimes when I miss that because of my self-centeredness. I'm convinced that there are hours and opportunities that I have. And again, I'm growing in this. And this is new truth to me. But I'm convinced that the, the opportunities that I have with my 11-month-old son, I might never have again. And I hear that from grandparents. When, and it's almost annoying. Because uh, you have these older folks who come up to you and say, Oh, these are special times. And we're like, yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, oh, 3 o'clock in the morning last night. And they're like, oh, isn't that wonderful? I'm like, come to my house. <laughs> it's not, have you forgotten? Okay. And then they, this is the line. Oh but it's going to be here and gone. And you're going to miss that opportunity. And you walk away going, they're old. That's right. <laughs> no, no, no one said that here, of course. But see, I missed wisdom in that statement. I've got a short time with him. There are hours that are, going to, there are, hours that are transpiring in our relationship and in our home. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that because there are crucial things that are taking place in my family's life that somehow I'm not going to be able to get back. 
I'm not going to be able to go back and redo that. We've all said that. I wish I could go back and redo it. Scratch that. It's not going to take place. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be absolutely horrible to have those kinds of crucial hours in our church and miss those? Why? Well, it's just not comfortable. We was at a church recently. And uh, I haven't, we haven't been back yet. They've asked us to come back. We're going back in like 2009 or something. But uh, they had a whole group of young people that just excited about Jesus. And they were young. And they act different than everybody. They act different than the other generation. And they're bouncing around. And, you know, and it was neat and exciting for a while. And then they start running for positions in the church. That's when you get into trouble. I mean, it's good to have the younger generation in the church, but don't let them do anything. It's good. You don't want them in charge of anything. And they begin to want to change things. And the church was growing and more and more and all these neat things. Let's do neat. And then it begins, well, that's not the way we've always done it. Take out the pews? You can't even worship Jesus without pews. Keep the pews. Keep the pews. But the issue was they wanted to put in round tables with chairs and have a, all these exciting... And that was just one of the... But it just... It, over and over and over. And it finally it came to the point where, listen, we made a mistake. <laughs> okay? We made a mistake. Uh, you're not ready. And, and it was just... All, they all left. And again, I'm not knocking. I'm not judging. I don't know the full story. But I can't help but to wonder, what if that was a crucial opportunity in that church? What if an hour, God had ordained an hour in that church, and people had come, and they had missed that? Why? Well, it's just, I mean, come on. I love pews. Yeah, come on. I'm not knocking. You understand, hey, I mean, it's incidental yeah, to me. I'm there a week and gone, to be quite honest with you. Um, I, I don't want to miss that. I can't tell you what this has been. This is a brand new study. We just finished this today. Just finished this today as I was dancing around Starbucks. <laughs> the new truth and the opportunities that God has in my life that He's ordaining. It makes me walk with a, with a whole different stride. And it's really kind of a creep as you begin to kind of walk around. And say, I, I don't want to miss the, oper- the crucial events and the hours in my life. I don't want to miss those kinds of things because of uncomfortableness, because of my own. It comes back to the idea of the blessing. Sure, it's not going to be... I, I no longer orchestrate the events of my life. Have what, do what you want to do. Because that's the opportunity. The opportunity is near. What does that mean? It's right here. Which means it's not out there. You, I believe that you and I are currently living in that opportunity. Uh, are you missing it? Are you missing it? Where does he put you at in your job? I, I talked to a, I don't want to embarrass her. I talked to a lady who's a children's worker, uh, not children's worker, she's a teacher at uh, elementary age. She's here. She was talking to me last night. What an opportunity. What an hour she has in the life of those children. She has them for more times a day than their parents do. Yeah. What an opportunity. Don't miss that opportunity. What do you do? I don't know. Stand there and bleed all over them. Stand there and die to yourself all over those kids. Stand there and be the event by where his hand reaches out and just in your life. Man, I want that. Jesus, 
man. How do you, how do you embrace that? How do I wrap my, my mind around, around that? Lord, the closest thing that I can come to, the closest point that I can come to in, in embracing because the time is near is you have a plan that I don't know about. I don't know the future events of my life. I can't tell the future half the time. I, Lord, I walk around not knowing where I'm going or what I'm doing. I'm so confused. But could I be so locked in on you? Could I be so focused in on you that the kind of peripheral things that really don't, they're not central, just kind of blow by me. They just, they really don't matter. Embracing you, all that you want to do. I'm living on the cutting edge of your hand reaching through my life. I don't want to miss the hours that you've put in my life between me and my wife. I don't want to miss the hours that you've put in my life with me and my son. Jesus, there are, there are hours in couples' lives before they're married that when they violate that relationship, they're violating knowing you in a way that they'll never be able to know you again. There's, there's a way for a young man to lean on you and, de and, and, depend, and develop a dependent relationship upon you in terms of his bodily drives before he's married. There's a relationship, there's an hour there that's so crucial and he can know you in such a way that will be gone once he's married. Jesus, I, I look back on my life and how foolish I, I was. I missed so many opportunities with you. I'm not bad. I'm not evil. I just get, I get so caught up in things, Lord, that don't matter. I, I don't want to miss. I don't want to miss today. I mean, you only, you only preached on this. Tomorrow isn't here yet and yesterday's gone. Today is enough to worry about on its own. What are you wanting to do in my life in this hour? I want to give myself to that, Jesus. I want to be the event while your hand, where your hand stretches through. That time is crucial. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to budge. I want to sit right in the middle of what you're doing and embrace that. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to give you the opportunity of... Maybe uh, he's dealing with you about the hour in your life.